Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk with Jim Kennedy, the new sheriff of Monroe County. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And, of course, we'd like for you to join us, too. If you have questions or comments for the sheriff, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for being here. And Mary Catherine, good to see you. Good to see you, too, Bob. As usual. Well, you've been involved in law enforcement for a long time. So I I think, you know, rather than me run down your resume, if you would uh, tell our listeners, you know, how long you've been in law enforcement and and all the different stops you've made along the way, that would be a good way to start. All right. I started in 1959 at Indiana University as a student with their safety division. Uh, From there, I went into the United States Army. Uh, From there to the Monroe County Coroner's Office, to the Lake County Coroner's Office, Lake County Prosecutor's Office, back to Indiana University for quite a while, then to the city of Bloomington as Chief of Police, and then to the United States Marshal Service, and now back here Mm -hmm. as Monroe County Sheriff. And you picked up a law degree along the way. Yes, I did. Right. So you've seen lots of different aspects of law enforcement in the judicial system. Yes, I have. So why, why did you want to be sheriff after, after the marshal's office and the city police department, the IU police department? Well, some people that are still involved in the criminal justice system here uh, sort of persuaded me. <laughs> and I thought it would be interesting as well, and I'm finding out that it is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So how, how does it differ? And you know, heading into this new challenge, how did you believe it would differ from the, the other agencies that you've worked for? Well, the sheriff's office has such a multifaceted function. We have civil things, uh, tax warrants, the selling of houses, uh, unfortunately, that people don't make their payments on, and other goods. We confiscate goods in order to satisfy tax liens and things like that. We issue uh, gun permits along with the city police, uh, at least the initial stages of those. We do a lot of things on that side of the house and support the courts. We serve all kinds of court uh, documents, uh, literally 150 to 200 a day. So that's a big part of the job. And we do the traditional policing with a very small staff, actually. And then the biggest of all, the 271 average daily population in the Monroe County Jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a large hotel. It's, we feed 800 and some meals a day. Uh, medical care, dental care, things like that all go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking uh, this morning as I was, I was just sort of preparing for the program that, that running the jail is, I mean, you mentioned it's like a large hotel. It, it seems like it's almost like hotels don't offer medical service. So it's, it's like a, a small city or a small town, it seems to me. It is in a way, and we also have a population, many of whom have never had or received previous to their stay adequate medical care or dental care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so let's talk about the the jail for a few minutes. We probably could talk about it for the entire program. Um, you mentioned the 271 average daily population. The capacity of the jail is well, it was built for 124 and then double bunked to 195. And uh, so when you have 271, and I know some days that's average. So some days you have more than that. Yes, and some our, days you have our high this year has been 280. Uh, our low is today with 253. Wow. Well, so, it must seem like there's a lot of room over there. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but So when you have that many people and, and the capacity with double bunking is 195, I mean, where do you put everybody? How we, do you how We do you put people them? on mattresses on the floor in the rec center. We put people on mattresses on the floor in the cell block areas. That's all I can do. And what, So what impact does that have on just the, the, the people who are in there? Well, it has a, a very negative impact not only on the people in there but on the staff because I have a staff that needs a lot of help. The, uh, I'm trying to, to, to provide the, the custody care requirements that I'm mandated by law to provide becomes extremely difficult and, and cleanliness becomes an mm-hmm. issue and I live in constant fear of a, an epidemic in that jail and that's uh, a thing we really working towards now is keeping that place very clean. Mm-hmm. You know, this seems strange to me. The Justice Building isn't that old. Um, 21 years. 21, 21 years. Uh, so you would think that they would have built that with the thought in mind that, you know, the population would grow and, and proportionately then the jail population would grow. What's what, To what do you attribute? This is much more than double what they anticipated. 
Well, the county has grown. The city has grown. That's that's true. The population is now 120-some thousand plus for the county, uh, including the city of Bloomington. Uh, I don't know. You know, I can remember I was a citizen here, of course, when they built it. And I can remember there were certain groups uh, who were opposed to building it for 124. In fact, the day that it opened, it was overcrowded. I, I remember that very well too, and I remember a lot of the argument or the the discussion was if you know if you build this big new jail, you're just going to fill it. Yes, and, and I, I've always wondered who is they are yeah. going to fill it. it yeah. It's like the police are now going to go out and find extra bad guys. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. I, I never could figure that who that you know that pronoun they referred to. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a digression, but uh, I assume those are all male prisoners. What do you do with females? Oh, no, we have female prisoners there also. Certainly do. We all have one whole cell block devoted to females, and they're a rising population, not only nationally, but here in Monroe County. One thing we don't have is a female detox center. So uh-huh. females who come in are, are have that requirement, we have to put them in wherever we can find space in the uh, attorney conference rooms. We put them in there temporarily. We put them in uh, the visitor's room if we don't have visitation. That's the only place we can put them. It was never designed for them. Hmm. I, I remember the last time I was in the jail, and it was as a, as a, a tourist. I was going through the jail. Uh, never had to spend the night there, thank goodness. Um, but I was struck by I, w- I was struck by the conditions that the people who are employed there work under. I mean, it's not you know it's not your fault. It wasn't the previous sheriff's fault. It wasn't the sheriff. Actually, I went through when Randy Williamson was sheriff. I was the last time I was in there. You know, it wasn't his fault either. It's just it's a it seemed struck me as a sort of a dark place that it could be a, a very. I mean, it's not a it's not a pleasant place to be. So. For the people who work there, how do you keep you know, how do you keep them sort of motivated, upbeat, um, keep their mental health in the place it needs to be? Well, the jail staff so far for me has been a remarkable asset. Trying to keep them motivated. Well, uh, Bill Wilson, who's my jail commander, does a great job at that. But one thing we are focusing on: I visit the jail minimally twice a day. Uh, we're doing an awful lot of painting, a lot of fundamental cleaning. Uh, we're going to paint the kitchen. The kitchen has never been painted in the 21 years of that facility uh, with acrylic paint so that the next time we have to, we can wipe the material off the walls, the grease and things like that. We can also, uh, we're also making some other strides. We've painted the visitor's area, cleaned it up uh, and that type of thing. Uh, and that's the jail staff sees that and they know that uh, – I personally care about their surroundings as well as the the, the care of the inmates. So, uh, if they'll stick with me for a year or so, I think we can make some improvements. Yeah. Okay. We have our first phone call of the day, so let's go to Kim on the line. Kim. Good afternoon, uh, Sheriff Kennedy. I uh, am with a group that will be growing uh, outdoor cut flowers for uh, giving to hospitals, retirement homes, and so on. I wondered in the jail if there were a way that uh, those could also be uh, donated there. That wouldn't be a bad idea, but I have to figure out a container we can put them in. It can't be glass. So we'd have to figure in some places, for instance, uh, around the kitchen, uh, in the visitation area, it would be wonderful. Okay. Maybe we should save our empty peanut butter jars. Those are plastic. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you could uh, contact the sheriff at what number? Well, it just it's in the yellow pages. I, okay. uh, frankly, you don't, you don't call yourself. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know my office phone number. He's new. Right. <laughs> All right, Kim. Well, that's a very good suggestion. Great. We'll try to follow up on it. I'm glad it'll be uh, simply a matter of uh, getting the right containers. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Uh, our guest today is Jim Kennedy, who's the sheriff of Monroe County. And for those of you outside of Monroe County, he also has a lot of experience in law enforcement at various levels. So if you have questions about so that are sort of general questions about law enforcement, feel free to uh, to give us a call. You know, last year it seemed like the big – well, one of the biggest news stories regarding law enforcement was the the incident at Bryan Park. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And that was – I know that was more of a city police thing. But um, that kind of, for me as a citizen begs the question – 
Um, what, if anything, could be done or could I, I don't want to, you know, Monday morning quarterback, but let's look toward the future and, and think what can be done to avoid that kind of incident in the future, if anything? Well, I think we're referring to the uh, discharge of a firearm and display of firearms by people who are utilizing the basketball court. Uh, first of all, the carrying of the weapon. I can't remember whether the person was licensed or not or even alleged to, to be. Uh, the state has a, a very liberal licensing law, but in so far as I've been a police officer, we have very few cases of people who actually have licenses becoming involved in gun incidents. Mm-hmm. So that part of it, you know, I, I may not be very strong on a lot of people carrying guns, but then the evidence so far hasn't shown that the people carrying guns with licenses are a problem. I think we can all go back to maybe our third or fourth grade and identify people in our schools that were going to be in trouble for most of their life. And uh, I know I can from my experience in Gary, Indiana, where I grew up. And I just wonder maybe intervention a lot earlier in life, uh, dealing not only with the children but with the families that are raising them or not raising them as the case may be dealing perhaps sometimes with educational issues. These are all very long-term solutions. There's not a lot of empirical data that suggests that even that will work. But so many of the people that I see that are in that jail are missing a lot of what we would call fundamental life skills. And uh, they've never either been taught or they've not gotten that lesson. All right. Okay. Let's go to the phones again. We have two calls. On so the first call is from Sharon. Sharon, hello. Yep. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Go ahead. Okay, uh, Sheriff Kennedy. I have just well. First of all, I want to congratulate you on being sheriff with all your experience over the years. Uh, that's a blessing for Bloomington. Thank uh, you. Yes. And I have uh, three short questions. One, if if a prisoner is kept like in C, C block, and I understand that's a lock it, lockdown block, which means as long as they are in prison, they only get let out one hour a day. Is that not inhumane? Uh, uh, their conduct has precipitated our reaction. They have done something to someone in the staff, on the staff or another inmate uh, which has precipitated or the nature of their crime, which has been violent, has caused us to put them in that condition. But it's their activity that has caused our reaction. Okay. I'm thinking of people that have, been, have to serve like six months in that condition. That just uh, The other thing is visiting. Uh, the jail staff has have been quite rude, and then on when there's a lobby full of handicapped people on Saturday mornings, you sign in from one twelve to one, and then it took an hour and a half to get the sign up sheet out, and you have elderly handicapped people waiting, and it's I don't understand why it takes that long. I'll be glad to try to explain it and not offer an excuse because I wonder about some of that issue myself. First of all, we have six visitor ports in the jail, six for a population of 271 right now. We have a vertical jail. That means I have one elevator to move people up and down. Uh, It takes six minutes for us to get a group from the fourth floor into the elevator and downstairs and into the room. Six minutes, get the other group out. I have a staff of, at best, nine people that can do that for me. They also have to be doing other things with the other, at this point, 263 inmates or so that have needs that have to be addressed. It becomes an impossible logistics task. I wish I had more space. And that six-visitor port that I'm talking about yeah, that's if all the telephones are working and they haven't been broken, and that's not often the case. And you bring up an interesting point and a good point about the handicapped people uh, in the lobby, and that lobby, as you know, is far too small. Uh, there's one handicapped parking space in the area right adjacent to it. Uh, the parking is totally inadequate as well. So 
you address a problem which concerns me, and uh, frankly, I don't know with that building design what I'm going to be able to do about it in the near future. So when you talk about visitor ports, are these, uh, you know, what, you would, what we would all see on TV where there's a glass between people? Or? That's correct. And telephone. They, yeah, and they talk on the phone yeah. between you know, the visitor and the inmate. Okay. All right. Sharon? And my very last question, books. Uh, can books be brought down to the we, prison? We have a contract with the Monroe County Public Library of a little over $6,000 a year where we actually bring books in with a librarian from the library, and that's the way we're bringing them in now. I frankly don't know whether outside books can be brought in, but every time we do that, then we have to have a jail staff member go through the book and the binding very, very carefully, and you may be in a book that has no contraband, but not everybody else is quite uh, as uh, observant of our rules. So, uh, again, and that's one, one more staff member that's not doing something else. But going back to your second question, did you get, do you see where my answer is coming from? Uh, yes, I just couldn't see why they couldn't figure a schedule in less than an hour and a half. So people would know if they could leave for a while and then come back, it seems like. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'll find out why not. Let you give me a call at the sheriff's department. We'll talk again. Okay. All right, Thanks Sharon. a million. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Sharon. Uh-huh. 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and noon at indiana.edu. Paul is our next caller. Paul? Hello, Sheriff. Hello. The state of Florida adopted Indiana's uh, laws about the right to carry a concealed weapon. They used our laws as their guideline quite a time ago, like 12 years or so ago. And, of course, the people that hate handguns said that there would be a wild cowboy shootout bath everywhere around the, around the state of Florida, and it would be insane. And, of course, what happened, all law enforcement people know, is that the rate of crime went down in Florida. Uh, the criminals, unfortunately... <laughs> Well, fortunately, they're scared of the fact that, that um, citizens may be carrying. Okay, now, what Florida does when you get licensed is they insist that you have so many hours of training. And um, 11 states have copied Florida's law since then, and the rate of crime has gone down in every state, fortunately. Um, but the thing is that all of them have incorporated this idea that there should be some training when you get licensed. Now, obviously, the people that carry are the best people, you know, the safest people and so on, the trustworthy people. So there's the incidence of uh, taking away licenses uh, is about five-hundredths of one percent uh, where licenses are taken away for doing something wrong, like flashing a weapon or something like that. But in Indiana, we need this training for our people, and I wonder... If you can recommend what we can do to get that training, where the police actually set up classes and you're required to go for 20 hours of training before your license is delivered, what can you tell us about that? Well, the, the training that would be mandated would have to come through legislation, so we're talking about our state representatives and state senators. Mm-hmm. And that would be the start. And I'm certainly in favor, and I think it's a great idea, before we let people carry a handgun, that they're trained not only in the mechanics of the, of the weapon, but when they're authorized to use it and employ it, mm-hmm. and that's right. probably the most vital thing of all, uh, it's you know it's a question that the legislature is going to have to address, not the local police. And here in Monroe County, where are we going to shoot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we we need to get a place to shoot in Monroe County, and I wish people would work on that. The firing line was an excellent place. I used to shoot with a the policeman there on Thursday afternoons. And, uh, you know, people did it for their requirements for being a cop, but we also did it for fun to compete against each other. And uh, everybody got more skill. I'd like to see a, a shooting range instituted. I wish everybody would work toward that. But this training idea is very, very important, and I wish it would get off the ground. Well, I'd certainly be glad to talk to a legislator about it at any time. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks a lot for the call. We have a lot of people want to talk to you today, Sheriff. So okay. <laughs> we're going to go. We're going to go next to Sue. Sue. Hi. Um, I just tuned into the station, and I just had one question, um, sort of going off of the woman, the earlier woman who was asking you about the lockdown, and about the. And I, anyway, my question is: is what are the benefits? 
to the prisoner in terms of the length of time that they're held in lockdown, um, because I had no, I know very little about the whole sort of prison system, but I didn't realize that it went on for months at a time in those kind of conditions. Well, so I'm it, just curious, yeah, is, there, is it advantageous it, in terms of their rehabilitation? Okay, it, it doesn't go on for the periods of time. The average stay in the jail is 92 days. Uh, and once they have done something that puts them in a uh, lockdown situation, they can f- get themselves out of that by conduct again. Mm-hmm. What it does, though, is it protects the staff and the other inmates from this person's violent behavior. Mm-hmm. For some of these people, their violent behavior does not end on the street, but it continues in the jail. And I have a duty to protect the other inmates from these people right. as well as my staff. So my only choice is to remove them from the general population. Mm-hmm. And then they still get out one hour under for supervised uh, physical activity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have in their cell, of course, the uh, toilet facilities and things like that. But do they get any kind of – I mean, I'm just guessing that the people that, you know, are clearly that violent and and outside of jail, you know, have had – you know, I'm guessing have you know lacked the parenting and the good community support that they needed clearly as a younger person, and if they're still being treated in a way that's sort of alienating them as that, I mean, I don't know what the solution is. I'm just thinking it just sounds severe, um, okay. and I understand that if they're you know obviously okay. doing well, the something. lockdown is a very small percentage of the population. The vast majority of the people in the jail are uh, not in a lockdown situation other than they're in jail, of course, and that's a lockdown. Right. But right. no, they, they have uh, uh, GED classes available. We have a lot of citizen groups in there now. The New Leaf, New Life group is in there, uh, uh, further, hopefully to enhance fundamental skills, uh, transition programs, things like that. They have a, a, the library, as I talked about, is in there as well. Uh, NA or AA? Uh, they also have uh, alcohol and uh, drug counseling potential uh, there. It's, uh, but these services are all for the regular inmates, not those in lockdown, right? That's correct. The lockdown so people like have my, demonstrated. I guess my concern as a citizen would be is if somebody were in there for lockdown for, you know, say the full three months and they got back on the streets, are they, have they actually sort of processed what they did wrong or are they just going to come out more angry? On the street. That's what my question is. Is yes. there anything else going along with lockdown to help that person, you know, come out as a better person rather than just, you know, sort of being a steaming tank to fuel their anger? Well, I seriously doubt that the person who was in lockdowns coming out after three months, they are probably going to go to the Department of Corrections for a f- much longer period of time. Okay. Right. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, that, it was just that piece that just kind of struck me. As, right. Yeah. A long time. Okay, well, thank you so much. All right, Sue. Thanks a lot for the call. I, uh, Sue brings up an interesting point, and you know, you, I think you answered it very well. There are certain people that you know you have to segregate, I guess, from the general population, or there could be more problems. That's correct. Yeah. We have several. The uh, gentleman right now who tore up his mattress and stuffed it down the plumbing, causing huge problems throughout offices in that building is a good example. He's. Uh, He's got mental problems, and we just can't let him be in a position where he can cause that kind of damage to other people and the building itself. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to the phones. We're going to take one more phone call before we take a break. So let's go to George. George? Hello there. Um, I just wanted to comment on something that Sheriff Kennedy said uh, at the beginning of the call, being in the program, that uh, uh, he didn't understand who the they being referred to about the concept to build a bigger jail that will just get filled up to capacity. My recollection of that discussion was that it was believed and there was some evidence to support it that was brought out at the time that uh, it tended to influence sentencing decisions by the courts. That the more capacity there was, the quicker that capacity was used up. And that other diversion programs or other ways of dealing with uh, misdemeanors or less criminal activity uh, tended to be ignored. Any comment? George, I think you've hit one of the nails squarely on the head. And I think it's, a multi, again, a multifaceted problem. Uh, the courts are certainly a big part of uh, the criminal justice system and the movement through the system can be dictated by a number of players, but the courts are a major player in that, uh, that role. 
Okay, thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, George. I'm going to ask our uh, other caller just to, to be patient. We'll be right back with you in a minute. Um, Jim Kennedy is our guest today. He's the new sheriff of Monroe County. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. And you can listen anytime you want from your home computer, iPod, or other portable player. WFIU offers podcasts of our movie reviews, a moment of Indiana history, congressional moment, and even a mini ether game. You can find out more about this on our website at wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have uh, as our guest today Jim Kennedy who's the sheriff of Monroe County. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. The sheriff has been a very popular guy today. I've had lots of phone calls. Mary Catherine's holding on to an email, but we'll go to our patient uh, phone caller, Suzanne, next. Suzanne? Yes, this is just a light, fluffy question. Do you still take the teddy bears and stuffed animals that you can pass out to children you come in contact with that are in distress situations? And what are the guidelines for any any stuffed animals we might donate? Okay, we I inherited a, lo, a huge menagerie of stuffed animals, <laughs> and I have no place to put any more right now. But we still take them, and uh, if you would hold off for a few months on more donations, I'd appreciate it. But keep us in mind. Okay, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So, talk about that program a little bit. Who who gets those animals? Well, kids usually they're involved in traffic accidents, or we go to situations where there's been a domestic disturbance, something like that, okay. and you've got kids that are traumatized or afraid, and mm-hmm. it's a thing for the police officer to try to lower the stress level, mm-hmm. uh, particularly for the child. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Here's an email that came in. It begins, I just wanted to reiterate how glad I am to see Sheriff Kennedy in place. It's very exciting to have forward-looking leadership, and I'm curious to see what the future brings. As sheriff, Mr. Kennedy has several county employees that are stationed at the Monroe County Central Emergency Dispatch Center. I was wondering if he has any thoughts on the dispatch center or had visited it since his term began. And there's another question, but go ahead and take that one. Yes, I visited it, and... uh I need some more employees in there. And uh, that central dispatch, I think, is uh, Norm Anderson and I and many other people worked for a long time to get that there. And I don't think it's been developed to the point where I'd like to see it. Okay. And this it continues. I was also wondering if the sheriff had any plans for increased participation between the sheriff's department and other local agencies, such as Bloomington PD, IUPD, Ellettsville, and the surrounding agencies. Well, I can speak immediately to IU and to the Bloomington Police Department. I met with both those chiefs this morning, and we have for a long period of time discussed uh, mutual training, joint training involving all three agencies instead of doing it separately. Everything from emergency vehicle operators, course, and firearms, some of the more mechanical parts of the job, uh, but also utilizing BPD and IUPD and their training facilities uh, with the Sheriff's Department involved in a uh, much greater manner. I'd also like to see us get together on joint hiring. And uh, while the sheriff and the city have uh, various boards that have to be involved, mm-hmm. I still think we can work together with those boards and come up with a combined list. And then we let the applicant decide where he wants to go or she wants to go on either of the three departments. And if they want to change, we can facilitate the movement within the departments as well. Uh, I'd like to see that happen. I think the taxpayer benefits. 
I know the departments benefit because of the reduced administrative overhead mm-hmm. we have and just the time involved. It seems like we're constantly interviewing candidates for positions that are open and it takes a huge amount of time and effort. Yeah. As a follow-up to that, what other kinds of relationships do you have with community groups? And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking of we've mentioned you know mental health issues a couple of times. Right. We've um, got the New Leaf, New Life group. Mm-hmm. So, what what folks do you talk with, or will you be talking with on sort of a regular basis to well, build relationships? Denny Morrison, for one, uh, who's very active, of course, obviously we all know on the mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another another big area that uh, I've got to get my feet wet in uh, more than I have. But it's we have people in that facility that clearly don't belong in uh, a jail. But again, as I stated in the year before my election, where are we going to put them in this county? Uh, we don't really have a mental health facility that uh, we can that the police with even when we talk about the, the CIT, the uh, critical inter- intervention teams and training. Uh, where are we going to put them other than the Monroe County Jail? Mm-hmm. It, it's great to have those teams that we, we've stopped. We have no place to put them when you're the officer on the street and you clearly meet a person who needs that kind of assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. yeah. All right. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Have you had an opportunity uh, or do you have a pre-existing relationship with Middleway House and, and what's your relationship going to be with that group? Well, they've been a supportive uh, feature of this community for many, many years and I know Toby and I know some of her staff members and I hope that we can continue in a positive vein there. Uh, it's, it's an asset and we ought to use it. Let's talk a little bit about the makeup of the jail population. Um, how many? You know, how, what percentage of people are there to serve time in some way versus people who are waiting for their their court final case. court case? Yeah. Well, I wish I could give you a real detailed analysis of that, Bob. But frankly, we don't, we don't I just haven't done it yet. Uh-huh. And I can tell you this, though: we have a number of people who are in there on what we call petitions to revoke. They violated a probation on mm. a previous charge. There are a large number of those people. There are people who are in there who have committed one offense. We have people in there who have been there 80 times before. 80 we, times is just yes. amazing. And, uh, <laughs> clearly, they've not learned much. But uh, They have addiction problems, both from alcohol and other drugs, sometimes both. They have some people in there with mental health issues. Uh, it's a very, it's it's such a varied population, uh, and then we try to come to an underlying causative factor. Sometimes it's far more than one. And the complexity of the issues sometimes it, it boggles my mind. And uh, if I had a you know great answer, it would be wonderful. But I don't. Yeah. Well, I know I've heard statistics, and I can't cite them, and mm-hmm. I don't expect that you would be able to, you know, precisely now. Um, but the statistics are seem a little overwhelming about the the percentage of people that have an alcohol or a drug addiction problem that are in the jail or have mental health issues. I mean, th- these are, for the most part, it seems like they're people who have some issues that need some kind of treatment to be able to help them. There, there are certainly the treatment aspect is there, but we can't lose sight of one other fact that. Some of these people who have those problems have also committed criminal offenses. In fact, that's why they're in the jail. And maybe if we treated the addiction problem beforehand, they would not have committed the crime. But we don't know that yet because all these things we talk about, crime prevention and so forth, are such long-term situations and very few communities uh, this country like short-term solutions mm-hmm. right, to a great number of issues. and. It's very hard to demonstrate that, hey, this will work. Mm-hmm. I happen to believe that some of them will work given enough time, but uh, maybe I'm optimistic. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, 877 and noon at indiana.edu. Now, you've talked about – with one of the callers, you talked about some of the programs that you do have in, in jail. I, you know, I, I, for, for a prisoner who's – in the jail population, what's a typical day like and what opportunities do they have? For an inmate that's in the general population, uh, after they have served breakfast, which is prepared by our dietitian Sue Wheeler, average cost, 99 cents per meal per day, far under the state allowance, by the way. Uh, they are then uh, 
free to read. They can watch TV. They can enter or play chess, checkers, whatever, with other inmates. Uh, a lot of, spend a lot of time talking to each other. There's a they have the possibility to get a GED if they do not have a high school diploma. They can attend those classes. They have the New Leaf New Life group. They we even have bingo on two nights. I think it is now and things like that. So there's you know there's as much I think as we can cram in there with the staff that I have. Mm-hmm. We're running out of places to have these types of auxiliary services, if you will. I have one general purpose room that's in use essentially all day, every minute. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then your staff is responsible, as you said before, <laughs> for getting them to places they need to go, which I, I'm sure that, that there are I, – I you maybe have a number, but several of the inmates are, uh, wind up with a court date or some – We've moved, uh, I think it was a week ago Monday, I went with the uh, jail staff. We moved 27 into one courtroom at one, between 1 and 1.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a sizable number. requires a number of staff officers mm-hmm. uh, to get them down there. First of all, they have to have their leg irons put on, and that takes time. We have getting them out of their cells, making sure we have the right people, getting them to the right court, and then throughout the day there are hearings going on of various types. Then attorneys want to talk to their clients, Mm -hmm. getting the attorney upstairs into the conference area for them, getting the inmate involved down there as well. It's all all staff time. And two of that staff have to stay in a control area. They're locked in just like an inmate. And the lady that was very concerned about the inmate being in there, you know, except for one hour, well, I have staff members are in a room essentially just a little larger for their entire shift. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a jail. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of logistics go on with it. Well, we have a phone call, so let's go to Daniel next. Daniel? Good morning. Hello, Daniel. How are you today? Good. Um, change the subject entirely and go back to something you were talking about, issuing gun permits. And I was wondering what the laws are about transporting firearms. Like if I wanted to take a rifle out to a shooting range, do I have to have a permit to transport it? No. And gun permits are strictly for handguns? Correct. Okay. Um, That's all I wanted to know. Okay. Okay. All right. That was nice and easy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Glad we could be of service, Daniel. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Okay, I'll be the queen of non sequiturs yet again today. I don't know. That seems to be my thing today. But with the news, uh, we've been hearing a lot about this rescue of these two young men who were um, uh, kidnapped by an individual and then – you know, they were one of them had been with this guy for four years and the other one uh, only a four days. At any rate, you know, they've they've been rescued. And so this has created a lot of discussion around this topic. And, um, you know, you always hear, gosh, how safe are your children out on the street? What would you say to a parent who says, gosh, you know, they could just be picked up at any moment? I don't know what to do. I don't know if it's safe to let my child play outside or ride his or her bike to school or or those kinds of concerns. How do you handle that kind of a a concern when it's brought to you? Well, I think let's put it in perspective. If I was a parent of a child in Baghdad, I'd be frightened to death at all times. Uh, My old hometown, I'd be deeply concerned. Uh, Here in Bloomington, my concern level is far less, but as a responsible parent, I still want to know where my children are. Mm-hmm. And what do you tell people to well, prepare uh, their children? There's there's no place in Bloomington or Monroe County where I feel uncomfortable being, frankly, uh, given uh, a modicum, I hope, of common sense. Sometimes at 2.30 in the morning, it's not real bright for me to be in some locations. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's the advice I give is, again, if you are concerned about your children, at that point, your children probably are never going to be in a problem because you're concerned. You know where they are. You know what they're doing. You care about them. It's the families, unfortunately, that don't. That's where we see the problems in most cases. And then, of course, saying that, then we have the situation that just arose in Lafayette with a young man who is from this community. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there that there's this, you know some situation that's totally uh, – it's, you know, it's like lightning – you can take all the precaution mm-hmm. in the world and all of a sudden something is going to happen. And whether this is a criminal event or an accident or what, we don't know or I certainly don't know. 
but you know, precaution, uh, it's great. But you can carry it to the point too of, you know, I, I know some parents that they get so worried about their children. I can remember when my young, my sons were growing up and they're well in their 30s now, I had one mother would call me about 8 o'clock at night wondering if her child was safe in my basement. And usually they were, I thought. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have All a couple. matter of degrees. Yeah, we, I, I had a follow-up on that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to let our callers go first. And okay. Perhaps I'll follow after that. But, uh, Gemma is next. Hi, Sheriff Kennedy. Um, I went through several years of violent harassment from neighbors who, you know, just didn't like newcomers in short. And um, I had to call the sheriffs a lot. And I found that the sheriffs that were mostly young didn't have any idea what the law actually said about anything. I mean, Indiana law particularly. And... um, you're referring I, to the deputies, right? The deputies that came out? I mean the sheriff's deputies. Yes. And um, I'm really, really concerned that a higher level of education um, be given to these fellows because, or uh, required because um, they are in the position of making a judgment as to whether somebody is breaking the law and whether they need to be arrested on the spot, you know, or whether even um, a report needs to be made. They are allowed, um, at least under the other administration, to make that decision whether or not they should make any report. And a report is so necessary. Um, If they come out and they have a certain bias toward, you know, whether guns should be allowed or, or what's happening or sort of whether this guy is somebody they know or a good old boy or whatever, um, they can make a decision as to whether they shouldn't make a, a report. And I would, at the very least, say that they need to have a report because they, they are not lawyers and they, they don't even have access to um, sort of an encyclopedia of law uh, that might be paraphrased within their uh, car on a computer. Okay, they, well, they don't have any way to refer. And, they, and even if you know what it is and you tell them what it is, they look at you blankly. So, uh, you know, finally I'm having to call the state police, and they seem to be able to know what's what. Okay, let's let the sheriff respond to this. Thanks. Well, I certainly can't argue with you that I'd like to have people involved in law enforcement with a lot of education and, just as importantly, a lot of training. And you're absolutely right that if the sheriff's department is called to uh, by a citizen, there should be a report made of what occurred or what did not occur. And that will happen under my administration. Uh, the idea that uh, the responding officer makes a decision like that, uh, from my point of view, does not is not going to occur. And when we're dealing with neighborhood disputes and neighbor disputes, uh, you you know, here currently in Indiana, we have a one-week law course that's focused primarily on the criminal law. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things that occur with neighborhood disputes involving trespass and things like that. Well, that is a crime. It also it has overtones uh, that involve civil law and things like that. And the advice ought to be sometimes, you know, you you need to see a lawyer uh, and have you know, certain types of protective orders issued and things like this. But that alternative ought to be explained to you or any other citizen that's in that situation. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can work towards correcting that. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana dot edu and we are uh, quickly running out of time. We have another call and uh, I know we have another email too. So let's go to the phone first and Annie. Hi, um, the roads from Beck's Corner on South O thirty seven are uh, on on further down a lot further down than that, but they're really dirty with tree debris and cans and so forth. I was just wondering why the inmates can't get out and clean those up and give them something to do. Uh, I'll see them clean up 37 on the new road, but never on the old. Okay, that's work release, and that's people that are in here on a different program entirely. That's run by uh, a different agency. Oh. Uh, those are not inmates. Oh. Uh, and then we go back to we want a chain gang or so, something like that in Indiana or well, Monroe County. Know. And I'm not going to say I do or I don't. I'd like to see the inmates have some labor, 
you know, teaching them some skills, things like that, but I'm not so sure pricking up cans is the answer. But there is a program that does do that, and I'll make sure that the people who run it are notified about the situation down there. Well, that'd be great. Maybe they can earn some of our tax money. Great. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. And we have two more callers that are trying to slide in. So DJ is next. DJ? Hello, Sheriff. I have a quick question about um, fundraising groups that um, stand out at some of the major intersections in town and solicit in, uh, donations for their, ver for their causes, which I am in favor of, I should say. Do they have to register in any way with the county or the city? Uh, not with the county. If they're in town, those are the magic words. The city of Bloomington has a uh, ordinance that regulates solicitation. Whether or not it does in that location, I don't know. But I will tell you this, that standing in the highway or the right-of-way, that's against the law. Okay. Then uh, my, my suggestion, this is something I've thought of several times when I'm driving in traffic and I see people out there. I'm, not a, I'm certainly willing to give them a couple coins, and I, they have every right to seek fundraising. But I think maybe you could kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, by if they did have to um, register as a valid fundraising organization, as not as somebody just out there with a bunch of his buddies trying to scrounge up coins, that the city could perhaps issue them when they apply, they could issue them on the day that they're going to do that, orange vests, like traffic vests, where they would be more highly visible and where it would give them the uh, imprimatur of legitimacy, you know, that they would be out there and you could say, oh, there they are and they're in their orange vests and they must have a permit to do this and I can see them better. I just have thought several times that that might be a good solution to that problem. So that's my two cents. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks a lot. No, I'm trying to avoid going off on that because I, I couldn't disagree more. I think it's a horrible idea. It scares me to death. I think it's unsafe, and I think it's nutty to stand people out in traffic. How hard would it be for somebody to open up a van door, grab one of those good-meaning people, and never see him again? It's just nonsensical to me, and I think there are hundreds of different, more effective and safer ways to fundraise. I'm okay. done. And you weren't trying that hard. <laughs> not, not comment on that. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Uh, DJ, thanks for the call. And let's go back to Joe. Joe? Hi, thanks. Um, I had a couple of quick questions. One is I wonder what the sheriff's uh, take is on a video as it's a tool in law enforcement. And we know about the recent lawyer who wanted videos all over to kind of help him with his cases. Uh, and the other is I wondered if the sheriff subscribes to the broken window theory of crime, or does he see that theory as applicable to mostly uh, high-density, high-crime areas, or what is his theory of crime for, say, a smaller city like Bloomington? All right. So two quick questions, video law enforcement and his theory of crime. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. All right. First of all, when it comes to video, I think it's a tremendous tool uh, where it can be a value. For instance, I'd love to see it in the police cars uh, in the county. The city already has it. We don't have it in the county because we can't afford it. We don't have the money for it. It protects not only the citizen but the officer and it offers the court the, the best evidence you can have. They're actually seeing what is going on and what was said if we have the audio to go with it. So I'm totally in favor of it in the cars. Out in the county, uh, I could see it being used for a surveillance situation, certainly. But beyond that, I, you know, maybe accident work on we, we identify intersections with high accident rates. We look at it and say, ah, we're seeing, you know, a lot of people running stop signs. That's a contributing cause and we can then do something about that. Uh, my theory on crime with broken windows with uh, Mr. Bratton, who started that, and in, in, in Commissioner Kelly in New York, it certainly worked there. Uh, and I frankly use it in the jail to some extent. Uh, I banned the use of, <clears throat> pardon me, pencils and pens by inmates in the visitors area because we just painted it, cleaned it up, and two days later there was graffiti on the wall. So I said, okay, that's it. No more pencils or pens downstairs, and. Uh, Slowly, I'm going to, uh, again, see there's certain things like that that we can do that uh, hopefully will alleviate that. And also as a, as a teaching tool, you're not going to mark up public property, at least the public property I'm responsible for. All right. Let's go to, to Larry. And Larry says he'll be quick. Yes, a quick question for you, uh, Sheriff. And mm -hmm. that is, I've noticed when I'm out on the west side of town, this is something I just didn't know the answer to, uh, that we have all those big shops out there along where PetSmart and TJ Maxx and so forth. 
I've encountered more than once that pedestrians come out of those stores and just step off the curb without even so much as looking and walk right out into this street. Do they have a right to do that, or aren't they supposed to be at crosswalks? Or is it the driver's responsibility to stop for all these people who step off curbs and don't even look where they're going? Okay, that's private property in most cases. And some of the shops out there have marked their lots uh, with allegedly crosswalks. It's like people put these stop signs out that are five foot tall, they don't meet the state standards, and people stop because they're they're nice people, I guess. But uh, that's private property, and we really can't do much about it. Uh, I would think any citizen would think twice before stepping out in front of two tons of steel. You'd think, but they don't. <laughs> but you know it's not limited to just there. You can go just about any place in most communities and see that kind of behavior. All right. Thank you. All right, Larry. Thanks for the call. We have about a minute to go. And uh, the follow-up I was going to ask before, and I guess if you could give me a, sort of a quick answer, is you know, what are the, the biggest um, crime issues in the county? You know, we hear a lot about meth through the, mm-hmm. the press. We hear you know, we have at times in Bloomington heard about gangs. You know, what should we be concerned about? I'm not concerned about gangs. I don't think the chief of police in the city of Bloomington is concerned about gangs other than we don't want them here and we'll do everything we can to prevent their uh, occurrence. Meth, we're lucky. We're the donut county. We're surrounded and uh, we're not seeing it like Green County is or, or Bartholomew County or for that matter even Brown. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's. I guess that's good news. Yes, it and is. And in the last 30 seconds, anything, any uh, suggestions you want to give to citizens about how to help the sheriff's department or keep themselves safer? Well, uh, the sheriff's department, uh, we're going to be uh, dealing with uh, the county council, the county commissioners, and I'm going to be requesting more support. And if the citizens feel that way, I hope they turn out as well. All right. That's, uh, we're out of time, and we had a very busy we hour did. here today. Thanks a lot uh, to Jim Kennedy, Sheriff of Monroe County, for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.